Well, guys, uh, happy Super Bowl Sunday. It's going to be a lot of fun today. It's probably going to be very stressful, too, as always. Are you ready for the stress? Deep breaths. They always do this to us. Just enjoy the competitiveness. I just want to um, say first that um, just a couple things. Uh, we do have, let me see, I just want to go back here. Yep. We have, for all the marrieds out there, I just want to encourage us with this, just to sign up, if you can, this week for our uh, marriage enrichment retreat, which is March 1st through 3rd. And um, I'm really hoping that we can bring a lot of our, our friends that are married as well. It's going to be an awesome time. It's right here in Portland. Um, I've, been, I've been to maybe 15 of these marriage rich, Richmond, and I've really, been, I've really taken away something every time uh, that's really helped my marriage to my beautiful wife. She's, she's flat awesome. She's Amen. awesome. But uh, we, we definitely need help. You know, we grew up in households that got divorced, and, you know, it's not like we had an amazing uh, example of what it meant to, to kind of go the whole way, you know, in a marriage. And, and I'm really confident from just the help we've gotten in the church, honestly, uh, and all the ways that, you know, we've been helped and encouraged uh, through the fellowship, but also through a lot of these retreats. Um, it's, it's awesome to be able to um, be married. And so please sign up. It's, it's, it's um, I believe it's $45 which is really, really awesome, and it's going to be right here in Portland. So uh, you'll be getting uh, an email again out for that, but if you can, forward it to your friends. You can definitely forward it. This is the link works for everyone, and uh, that would be great. So let's jump in our, into the Word, because I know as it gets closer to 6 o'clock, <laughs> people are going to be feeling it, plus the ribs are going to be ready. So let's go to John 8. And today's message is called, Whose Side Are You Fighting On? That's the song that we just sang. That's the song that we just sang. Whose Side Are You Fighting On, right? Um, It's an interesting question. And uh, obviously there's two answers, right? There's the Lord's side. And then we never sing this part. You know, I've never heard this sung before. (laughs) Tell me, whose side are you fighting? I'm fighting on Satan's side. No one's ever said that. Have you ever heard anyone say that? Have you ever really ever heard of anyone say, you know, I'm with Satan. Me and him, we are thick as thieves. Me and Satan, till the end, I'm faithful to him. Seems so weird for me to even say that out, out loud in church, you know what I mean? But I just want to make a point that no one says that. And there's, there's something called uh, Satanists or, you know, the Church of Satan even, and they don't even say that. They basically don't even believe, they, they, don't, they have an atheistic kind of faith. They're kind of going against the modern Christian world. Yeah. And so even the Satanists, those that are part of the church of Satan, they never say, hey, I'm fighting on Satan's side. No one ever says that. Why? Why don't we say that? Why don't people say, you know what, that God, he's, he's, he's okay. But man, Satan, he's awesome. Why don't people say that? Can we get some participation now? What do we think? Today's going to be a little interesting time. Anyone want to raise their hand just to say it? Everybody knows he's the bad guy. Everyone knows he's the bad guy. 
You know, and, and here, what's another reason? What's another reason why we're not on Satan's side? Well, initially, most people want God in their lives. They want some kind of order. They don't want disorder. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's the losing side of right. being the winning team. <laughs> yes! Yes! All those answers are great, but, but I really like Heritakis' answer. He's the losing side. Who wants to be on the losing side of... You know, Satan, we all know in the end, even atheists believe that, hey, the odds aren't stacked up for that guy too well. He's going down. And the Bible says again and again that he's going down. Amen? And so, but the thing that's interesting is that Satan doesn't want you to sing, I'm fighting on Satan's side. He wants you to say you're fighting on the Lord's side. But really... In your life, you're fighting on his side. See, that's the tricky thing about Satan. Satan is a trickster. He doesn't want us to think that we're fighting on his side. You know, you ever just think think you're doing the right thing, but in the end, you're doing the wrong thing? That always stinks. And Satan is good at doing that. He's really good at telling enough of the truth so that you'll think you're doing the right thing when you're really doing the wrong thing. He's the father of lies that we're going to look at right here. And so my first point is, whose side are you fighting on? Let's go to John 8, and we'll look at a passage that kind of struck me when I first read it. I was, didn't grow up in church. I was a 18-year-old. They told me to read the book of John. I started doing that. And I, and I was really liking the book of John, let me just confess, I didn't read it every day like they asked you to. I was not a man of character. I like read it every fourth day, you know what I mean? But when I read it, I read it for like five, six chapters, so I thought I made it up, you know? But once I got past this John 8, I started reading faster because I started getting into it. And this passage really blew me away. In verse 39, Jesus, just to give a little context, is saying... Um, I can set you free from sin, you know? Um, if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. And then they start saying, we're Abraham's children. We've not, we're not illegitimate children. We don't need you, Jesus, essentially. We, are, we have Abraham as our father. And this is what he, they're saying. In verse 39, they reply to him, Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. Interesting right there. Let's just stop right there. If God were your father, you would love Jesus. That is a profound statement right there. So if we went the other way, if you don't love Jesus, is God your father? That's an interesting question right there. That's an interesting thing to think about in this world. God is essentially wants to be all of our fathers, right? He wants, to be, he wants all his children in his kingdom. But 
Jesus is who allows us to be in the house. Amen? Yeah. Amen. He says, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you're unable to hear what I say. And then he says something that I think I've never heard anyone say before. Verse 44. It's very, very rude what he says here. Very intense what he says here. I don't think any man could ever say this. But he says it. You belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out his father's, or your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he's a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Can anyone prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Now, these people are Jews. These people are God's holy people here. These people go to synagogue. These people go to the modern day church. They're very devout. And Jesus is saying, your father is not God. It's Satan. Tell me, whose side are you fighting on? It's very sobering to think about this for a second, that these people thought, I'm on the right side. You know, if they did that song in, you know, Aramaic, you know, or Hebrew, you know, Hebrew tell me, whose side are you fighting on? They would say, I'm fighting on Yahweh's side. But what does Jesus say? No, you're not. You're not fighting. You're not fighting on the right side. Well, why is this? It's because Satan is a tricky, deceitful angel masked around with the rest of his demons to try to get people to be fooled. He started in the, in the, in the, in the Garden of Eden. Will God really, will you really die if you eat the fruit? I know why he doesn't want you to eat the fruit. He doesn't want you to eat the fruit because... You'll be like him. He doesn't want you to be like him. Tell you a little truth and then also lace it with lies. My first language, if you can believe it, is English. Sometimes people don't think so. But that's my first language, English. And so it kind of flows out of me, usually. And as a, as a preacher, sometimes I feel like Moses, slow of speech. Um, but... It just flows out of me. What is Satan's language? His native language? Lies. Lies. And so, if these people were fooled, what about the rest of the world? I was studying the Bible with someone, and they said, Wow, you're saying. The, what you're saying from the scriptures here is that there's not, not everyone that calls himself a Christian is a Christian. <coughs> I'm upset about what you said there. And I said, well, I don't know what to say. If there was a billion Christians in this world, the world wouldn't be like it is right now. Wow. Yeah. There's a self-proclaimed billion Christians in this world that all say, I'm fighting on the Lord's side. I'm actually fighting on Jesus Christ's side. But are there a billion Christians, church? Really? 
Are there 500 million Christians? If there was 500 million Christians, each one of them could share with, you know, 15 people and the world would be evangelized. Would there be what we see today? It's interesting to think about. And so we know, I think we know if we've, if we've been a Christian for a while, we've been duped by Satan, haven't we? We've been duped by Satan. Sometimes Satan comes in the front door. Sometimes he goes in the back door. Sometimes he speaks to you and whispers. Sometimes he's loud and clear. Yeah. It's the scariest when he's loud and clear. Because he, you know what he's doing. He knows what you're doing. And you still fall. He knows exactly how to get you and I. But the truth is, he's going to lose. As, as John said here. He's going to lose. And he's eloquent. But God's word is the answer to not being duped by him. Because God's word cannot ever be impacted by Satan's lies. And that's the thing I want to encourage us, is that we need to fight with the spiritual weapons that's out there. You know, one of the most sobering lines of whose side are you fighting on is whose side are you staying on? And man, I've been in groups of thousands that say, I'm staying on the Lord's side. You know, and I believe they mean it. But you telling me all thousand are still staying on the Lord's side? I have to say, in a humble and really sobering way, that's not the case. Because Satan is the father of lies. Now, we're going to hear some good news soon. So I'm just trying to help us get the truth here first. Let's go to Matthew 7, guys. Let me share a funny story as we're turning there. There's a brother that I know very well. He's a good friend of mine. His name's Kevin. He sometimes is very loud. Most of the time he's very loud. And he, has a, 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 he had a roommate named Chris Zillman, and they were good friends. And he used to just annoy Chris Zillman a lot. And they would just go back and forth. And Chris had a long day, many tests. And Kevin knew that he was tired. And every time he started to fall asleep, you know, 3 o'clock a.m., Kevin was, for some reason, excited about, I don't know why. It was, of course, you know, the day before a test for Chris. And he says, hey, Chris, Chris, Chris. They, you know, they were in the same room. Chris, Chris, I got a question for you. What? What is it? What do you have? No, it's a real, it's a good question. What, what is it? Whose side are you fighting on? I'm not going to do this right now. <laughs> and you know, the song, of course, we know the song. Come on, just answer me, Chris. Chris, for real, whose side are you fighting on? He said, I'm fighting on the Lord's side. And then Kevin would go, I'm fighting, I'm fighting, I'm fighting, I'm fighting, I'm fighting on the <laughs> Five more minutes later, as Chris was drifting off to sleep, Chris, Chris, what? I don't want to do this. Don't do this to me. I have a test tomorrow. Just one more time. <laughs> Whose side are you preaching on? <laughs> I'm preaching on the Lord's side. I'm preaching, I'm preaching. He did it again and again. All the verses made them up. That's not a good friend sometimes. He can be a little annoying. But we need to ask ourselves, not when we're like this, when we're really tired. We need to ask ourselves those questions. 
You know, if we see each other getting a little deceived, sometimes as Christians, we can be fighting against God, fighting against what God wants to do in our life because we're stubborn and Satan uses that stubbornness. I know he does in my life. I've heard people say, Glenn, I have felt like you've gotten taken over, taken captive in that moment by Satan. That's a sobering thing to hear someone say to you, right? But 22-year-old as a Christian, that's what I am. Isn't it going to happen sometimes? Don't we need each other to ask that question of ourselves? And if it's our church, if this is my church and we are all the church, when we see us going the other way, we got to speak up, church. You know, this isn't a church that just says, oh, well, I do my thing and you do your thing. We're a family. And obviously we invite that. But sometimes we don't want to hear it, do we? And yet we need to hear it because we don't want to hear it in the end. Let's go to Matthew 7, guys. Matthew 7. I love this quote. The enemy is fighting you because you're weak. Not because you're, because you're weak. He's fighting you because you're strong. I love that. Satan's trying to take us out. You know, if he's thinking, I'm going to go after a Christian or I'm going after a non-Christian, what do you think he's going to go after? Why? A little participation. We represent Jesus. He's already got the non-Christian. Running around, doing what they do. He wasn't going after me. I didn't feel tempted as a non-Christian as much as a Christian. It's interesting. I became a Christian, and all this stuff came into my life that I was tempted with. But when I wasn't a Christian, he was like, keep on going, bro. You're doing great. So this is an interesting thing. The spiritual battle. It's something we can't see sometimes. And we're going to see a battle soon on the football field, aren't we? And there's a lot of strategy. They're talking about the Rams strategists, you know, the incredible young genius and the coach from the Rams. And then we got the old, you know, tried and true Belichick genius. And they're just going to play, do all these plays at each other and switch it around. And, and this is modern day physical football, a game. How much strategy is involved in the spiritual battle, guys? Are they talking about you and I? Are the demons talking about us? They are. They're talking about you. They're talking about me. They're talking about my kids. They're talking about your kids. They're talking about your marriage. Talking about your family. Wow. Sobering. The angels are talking too, though. Amen? They're helping us. They're, They're involved. Very much so. In helping us. Have you ever felt strengthened and you don't know why? I felt that. You ever felt weakened and you don't know why? I just came from a great service. I just came from a great time with the bros. And why am I not feeling that great right now? There's a spiritual battle going on. We have to open our eyes. We have to be attuned. We have to be sensitive to the spiritual battle, church. If this is our church, we have to fight spiritually, not with the weapons of this world. So we're going to go through a couple of passages that are some sobering passages. And the first one is in Matthew 7, 21 through 23. And 
It's a sobering one. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, Jesus is speaking, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, 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 did we not prophesy in your name, and your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Who's read this passage before? Raise your hand. What's up with this passage? This is one of those passages where you're like, what about blessed is the peacemakers, Lord? This is how he ends the Sermon on the Mount. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount. You don't ever see this um, on like a, uh, a bookmark. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? No one ever raises up Matthew 7, 21 in a football game. This is one of those passages, it, it's sobering. We need to hear it though, don't we? First, this guy's calling Jesus Lord. So what does he believe about Jesus? He believes he's Lord. Have you ever drove out demons before? I mean, maybe I have, but it's not like something I purposely am doing. Driving out demons or performing many miracles. Did Jesus say, no, you didn't. You never did any of that. Liar. No. He said, I never knew you. I never knew you. We have to know Jesus. We have to live like Jesus if we're going to know him. And so what's the crooks of the matter? I put it in red for you guys. No cheating. It's the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. How are we supposed to know the will of the Father? By the word of God. I want to encourage us as Christians and even those that are visiting today, get in the Bible with others. Get to understand what is the will of God. There are so many people that go to church, so many people that say, Lord, Lord. But if you say, where in the Bible does it say this? They don't know. Show me a passage on salvation. Show me a passage which assures your salvation in the Lord. I didn't know the Bible at all. And I've been to church several times growing up. They remember saying, hey, turn your Bible to John 1, verse 1. And I didn't know what they said. I couldn't even turn to John. They had explained to me that the big numbers was the chapters. And the small numbers were the verses. Most people don't know their Bibles. They don't know it. It's kind of sobering to say that this is what's going to help us know God's will. But, but, but there are many that don't know it. And so as a Christian, I want to encourage you to share God's word with people. Share the Father's will with people. Get their noses in it. Why do we study the Bible, people? Because we know that only those that do the will of the Father are going to make it. Being religious isn't what God cares about. You ever hear someone who's really religious? It's an interesting thing. It's hard to tell. And, and what I mean by religious is someone who, they're saying all these things on the outside, but in their inner life, they're having a hard time. Maybe there's a lot of sincerity in there. They just don't know how to live it. It's difficult. We need to be aware of it. You know, I'm thinking about the fact that when I was an 18-year-old kid studying the Bible, 
I was so ignorant of God's word. Someone said, do you know the next study we're going to do is called Light and Darkness. It's going to help you understand how to assure yourself that you know you're going to heaven. And I said, I never thought you could even know that. You can know you're going to heaven? Like 100% guaranteed know that? Let's do that study right now. Well, it's getting late, Glenn. I was so excited that I could know this. So many people. No, I asked an older lady one time who'd been to church all her life. So are you confident that you're going to go to heaven? And she said, no. She was like 80 years old. I said, what do you mean no? Who can ever know that they're going to go to heaven? I was shocked that this woman, I said, how long have you been going to church? I've been going to church 60 years. That's a sad thing to say, isn't it? Do you think God wants that? God doesn't want any surprises on Judgment Day. And how we're not going to have surprises by getting people in the word, by us getting in God's word. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. For such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. Isn't that crazy? Like if Satan met you, he would be so beautiful. You don't think he'd be looking like a red? Do you really think he looks like a red guy with a pitchfork? He is smooth as silk. You don't get a third of heaven to go with you. Hey, let's fight against God. That's a great idea. Let's go, Lucifer. I mean, you have to really be a slick talker. I don't even know what happened to those angels long ago. Let's just put a pin in that for a second. But are you kidding me? Let's take on God. These angels are like, yeah, let's do it. I don't know if it went down like that. Maybe I'm simplifying it. But man, that was a tough, that was a tough moment for them. What are we going to do? If this is our church, we have to be Bereans. We've seen this passage before, right? Now, the Bereans were a more noble character than the Thessalonica. For they received the message of great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Don't trust what I say. Don't trust what anyone says. I'm going to be on my face with you on Judgment Day, just wanting to get in. They say, Glenn. I'll say, oh my goodness. Well done. I'm going to be excited. I can't help you. No one can help you. You have to stand alone before God. Amen? Amen. And be that Berean. Be that Berean. We have to challenge other people to be Bereans. You know, we have to realize that, that these people were more noble because even Paul the Apostle, who was an amazing apostle. I'd believe what he said. The guy used to kill Christians, now he doesn't. That's pretty cool. The greatest Christian of all time. And yet these Bereans were like, I'm not going to take your word for it, Paul. What amazing character. Luke saw this and was like, wow. What amazing character these people had. Ignorance is not bliss. You ever hear that? Ignorance is bliss. I think they're in some situations. I would say it's true. 
But spiritually, ignorance is death. It's not bliss. It's not bliss. We have to be sensitive to the spiritual battle. Sometimes I don't even want to think about the spiritual battle. I just want to veg out. Can I get an amen? Amen. Just want to forget about Satan. Just pretend he's not around. Just forget about all this spiritual intensity thing. And you know what? God has this, and we're going to hear about how we can be at peace with the spiritual battle in this next point as we end. But the truth is, we can't be ignorant. We cannot be unaware of Satan's schemes. Are you aware? Do you see the spiritual battle? If this is going to be our church, we have to say, I'm fighting on the Lord's side, and I see the spiritual battle. Amen? Amen. All right, let's talk about the second thing. Guaranteed victory. Amen. Pull up, Glenn. Pull up. You know, uh, there's many songs. One of them, you know, uh, Rage Against the Machine. Amen? Some crazy music right there. One of the songs is Know Your Enemy. And we just heard about that. We have to know our enemy. We also have to know our champion. Amen? Because you can be downhearted like, oh, no. We give Satan too much credit sometimes. Is Satan fighting against God, church? I've been reading my Bible, and actually, the answer is no. Satan never has been going after God. His battle is with the offspring, right, of Eve, and that's us. There's no, there's no contest with Satan. Guaranteed victory. I love this. We're going to do some old school stuff right here. Muhammad Ali, Larry Bird. And Pat Riley. Look at that slick hair, man. Sometimes, like, old people, old school people don't look cool. He still looks cool, man. If he wore that right now to church, you'd be like, that is a smooth-looking guy. All right. So some things I love. I love when sports people do predictions of victory before it happens. Muhammad Ali predicted the round that he was going to beat his opponents Seven out of eight times. Can I just say that's incredible? That's incredible. I'm going to beat you in the fourth round. You're going down. And he would do it in a very eloquent way, you know, with a, with a rhyme scheme. Um, in February 1962, he stopped Don Warner in four rather than five. And he claimed it was because he didn't shake hands with him. He was confident. Would you say he was a confident? He said, I'm the greatest of all time. I've never said that ever out out loud about myself. I'm the greatest of all time. I mean, it sounds so crazy, but Muhammad Ali did it, right? Larry Bird. He was, they were down by one point, and Xavier McDaniels was covering the whole game. They went in to the huddle. Larry Bird, they were calling a scheme. Larry goes, no, 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 coach. That's not what we're going to do. You're going to get me the ball, and I'm going to win the game. Now, at this point, Larry Bird, a couple MVPs, a couple championships, the coach says, all right, we're going to do that. 
out of the huddle, before the, the ball you know, gets inbounded, he says to Xavier McDaniels, I'm going to shoot the ball right here in your face to win the game. So just be ready. And Xavier's like, I don't know what this guy's saying, but uh, okay. What did he do? He got the ball right at that same place, shut the ball and win the game. Larry Bird. Pat Riley is at the 1987 NBA Championship Parade in L.A. He says, I'm grateful to be a part of the Laker organization. I'm grateful to be a part of, of this amazing community in Los Angeles. And I'm grateful to be a part of this time in history. And I'm guaranteeing everybody right here, next year, we'll be doing this again. Which was a crazy thing to say. He's at the parade. They went through this incredible seven-game series to win. 82 games plus playoffs. And they just won. He just got the ring and he's saying, I'm going to be here next year. And in fact, they were. Now, if you had Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Magic Johnson, <laughs> you might be able to be <laughs> confident about that. Now, you had the, you had the Celtics too, and, and it was incredible that he was guaranteeing victory. I love when people guarantee victory and it happens. There's something about that. There's amazing confidence that we have. And I just want to encourage you that our God has guaranteed victory. Amen. And it's not like Muhammad Ali, because he lost some fights. It's not like Larry Bird. He's just a man. And certainly Pat Riley. You know who's got the best team? God does. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He don't even need the angels. He don't even need the angels, guys. I don't even know why he has angels. I don't think he needs them. I think he actually just wants to love more beings. And so that's why he has angels. It's amazing. Let's look at some amazing passages on the incredible thing. Well, first thing, I love Gamaliel. He's against Christianity. The disciples are preaching God's word in Acts 5. They want to kill the Christians. And Gamaliel just stands up in all his wisdom and says, let them go. For if their purpose or activities of human order, it will fail. But if it's from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. And they let them go. These fishermen that had no power in the community <clears throat> except the power that Jesus gave them. Now, I want you to think about the fact that you have the same Holy Spirit that these disciples had. And if you were in that room, Gamaliel would say the same thing about you. You will not be able to stop Jesse Fowler. You only find yourself fighting against God. Amen. If you're on God's side, you're guaranteed victory. And that's why I want to be on God's side. That's why you need to be on God's side. And I'm not just talking about in the end. In life, you are guaranteed victory. In this life, nothing can stop you. Satan can't stop you. The world can't stop you. You're unstoppable. 
if God is with you. So encouraging, isn't it? I have to confess, I don't feel like that sometimes. Like last week, I was sick, and I was like, "Ah, I'm so weak. I can't do anything. I'm not getting anything done this whole week. My family's been sick for like three weeks. Now my boys are getting sick, and I'm just like, I need some Gamaliel. I need him to say, you can't stop Glenn, even if he is sick. You only fight against God. Look at this passage. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Now, this is the best trash talk (laughs) in the history of trash talking. I'm going to take the sinner that you've been messing with this whole time, and I'm going to be so powerful that he's going to stomp on your head at the end. She is going to stomp on your face in the end. And remember when I prophesied it in Genesis 3? Remember when I told you, Snake, before I did this whole thing, that's what I was going to do? And that's what Paul said, the God of peace. I love that. And, God, and you know what the funny thing is? God's not going to do anything. His angels are going to do it. Has God ever really done anything like super hard for himself? Everything he does, it's like kind of, let there be light. Oh, you just made the whole universe. That was pretty easy, Lord. Did he really need to rest or did he do it for us? Was he tired? No, he wasn't. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Revelation 12. Let's just go there, guys. We're we're ending here. So encouraging. We're guaranteed victory. I wish the Pats were guaranteed victory. As I know in other previous games, it's going to be a nail-biter. But I know how this one's going to end, amen? I know how this is going to end. I remember reading, I've I've shared this story before. I got through the whole New Testament as a young lad, 18 years old. And I remember reading it. I remember where I was. I was in New York City. And it was 11 a.m. And I I was reading for about two hours. I was excited to be a Christian. I had the time to read the Bible. And I said, I got to Revelation. And I was like, you know, I could stop now. But I'm going to keep going. I'm going to finish the New Testament. And I went on for an hour. And read Revelation. I didn't know what I was reading. I was like, whoa. You know, it's like one of those like rides. I'm like, and then there was a beast, and then there was a dragon, and then all this happened, and then wow, and I'm like, to the church in Philadelphia. I'm like, ah, I'm just reading. You ever just read something, you don't know what you're reading? You're just like, this is really cool. What? Still happens when I read God's word. But the truth is, at the end, I knew one thing. God is definitely going to win. And I want to be on his side. And you know what? That might be the most important lesson in the book of Revelation. You know, it still is probably the most profound lesson 
for me and you. Revelation 12. Let's get inspired, church. Then war, verse 7, broke out in heaven. What? Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. The ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. And then a loud voice in heaven says, Now have come the salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah for the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They will triumph over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They do not love their lives so much as to shrink back. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. Now this is what's amazing about this passage. God didn't even get into the ring. He was like, Michael, go deal with it. Michael took, I mean, talk about a butt whooping. I'm talking about a serious butt whooping. You need to get out of heaven right now. He hurled him down with all his angels. When we think about the power of these angels and the fact that God gave the power to these angels, we realize that I don't even think, I think God is more like, you know, Belichick. You go, what did he just say? <laughs> God is not Belichick. Belichick is not God. Not saying that. But what does Belichick do during the games? They just close up on him and Belichick's like. Have you seen Belichick ever get excited? He's just kind of like very stoic, so chill, really boring to look at. You know, you go close up on Belichick, you know, they got an interception. Close up on Belichick, they got a touchdown. Belichick, how do you feel about winning? Played a good game. Now, I think God has a lot more joy than Belichick. (laughs) But God doesn't do much. I don't think he really has to do much. Because he's so powerful, he's already given the power to the angels to do everything he needs them to do on Judgment Day. And he gave the authority to Christ. And I'm not saying that God is not powerful. I'm saying he's so powerful that he doesn't have to do anything and he can still win. That's our God, amen? amen. Now he get up on that cross for us and that's why he won. Amen. He won as a man and as God. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Let's go to the next passage here. Whoa. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of the burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophets had been thrown. They will be born, tormented day and night forever and ever. See, this is what... John Herodotus was trying to say right here. 
He was saying, wait, wait, if I'm with the devil, uh, if I'm fighting on his side, I'm going to be, uh, where am I going to be now? <laughs> What's going to go on? I'm straight with that. Burning fire, burning lake of fire or sulfur with the beast and the false. First of all, I don't want to be with the beasts. I don't want to be with the false prophet. And I don't want to be tormented day and night. So let me not be on his side. <clears throat> then I saw a great white throne, and him was seated on. The earth was in heavens, fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw a dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Books were opened. That's going to be crazy. Books are going to be opened. There's going to be books filled with our deeds in it, recording our every move. Wow. I guess today really matters. Another book was over, which is the book of life, the most important book. The dead were judged according to what they have done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in them. The death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they have done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found and written in the book of life was thrown in the lake of fire. Guys, one thing I know is I want to be in the book of life. I became a minister so that I can get as many names in that book as possible. We as disciples, what should be your goal? Yes, to glorify God, but to get as many names in that book. First, I want to see my name, and then I want to see a lot of names next. My name is the most important, though. I have to be honest. I want to see my name, and your name is the most important. That's the first thing we can do. That's the only thing we can control, right? Yeah. Is our name. Right. But we have to try to pray and beg God to get as many names in there as possible. Amen. Last but not least, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great sea of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree or for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. This is my favorite part. Come on now. They will see His face. I want to live forever, okay? That's awesome. And I want to be with all you guys and not have death or pain. But you know what I want more than anything? I want to see the face of God. That's my ambition, to see God's face, to see the one who loves me the most, to see his face. And his name will be on there for us. No longer be night. There will not be need to be light. Light a lamp for the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. I want to encourage you, in your Christian life, you've got to read Revelation all the way through in one sitting. It will change your life. You're probably not going to understand everything. But when you start reading stuff like this, you go, you know what? I need to prioritize God and his church. I need to prioritize God and his church. Because God has guaranteed victory. And the church says, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. He who testifies in these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Guaranteed victory, church. Whose side are you fighting on? Lord's side.
That's what we got to say. And we have to use this word to make sure that we really are fighting on the Lord's side. Amen. 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 Amen.